Not only does Yahweh arrange human circumstances to care for his own, but Yahweh also uses the obedience and compassion of the righteous, those who belong to him, to care for others who belong to him. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are there fewer truly good, just, and morally strong people today than there were in the past? Do you look around at your own town, country, and culture and wonder, is there any hope? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part nine of a series titled Ruth. We continue to look at how the Lord, Yahweh, uses the obedience and compassion of His children to care for others in times of need. The fact is, obedience and compassion were in short supply in Ruth's day. Evil was rampant. If you doubt that, just read the Old Testament book of Judges. Righteous people were hard to find. But in order to care for Naomi and Ruth, who belonged to him, God orchestrated their circumstances to bring across their path a righteous man. He enters the story today. Who was that man? Let's find out as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Well, I have already enjoyed greatly our journey through this little Old Testament book called Ruth. I am, I'm just struck every time I open the pages and study it, how much is there that, that through all the years I've read it, I have missed. And it's a joy to bring it out to you as we walk our way through what the Lord has to teach us here. I want us to begin tonight in one verse, Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12. It falls in the section that we'll study, and in some ways the expression that a occurs in this verse is key to understanding the entire book. Notice Ruth 2, verse 12. This is Boaz to Ruth. May Yahweh reward your work, and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel. Notice this expression. Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Fascinating here that Ruth and all of us who seek refuge in the true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, we're compared to baby birds that seek refuge, a baby bird that seeks refuge under the wings of its mother. There are a number of references to this effect in the Old Testament. Regarding the exodus from Egypt, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 32.11 of God, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them, he carried them on his pinions. But more personally, throughout the Old Testament, this image continues. Psalm 17.8, Keep me, God, as the apple of the eye, hide me in the shadow of of your wings. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, 1, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings 
I will take refuge until destruction passes by. But that's not all. Psalm 63, 7, you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. There's a, secu- there's a secure place, a place of protection in the shadow of the wings of God. Psalm 91, verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. And even in the New Testament, Jesus, our Lord, uses this image. In Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. There's a tenderness. There's a relationship. There's a sense of security. There's a sense of protection that the baby bird feels under the wings of its mother. And that's the description of God toward those who have taken refuge in him. It's that picture. The way that factors into the book of Ruth is clear. The point in Ruth 2 is that both of these women have sought refuge in Yahweh under his wings, in his protection. Naomi had repented and returned to her God after the stay in Moab. Ruth, the Moabitess, who had worshipped Chemosh, the god of Moab, involved in child sacrifice her whole life, She now had believed in Yahweh, Israel's God. Since these two women had come to believe in Israel's God, had come to seek shelter, to seek refuge under his wings, Yahweh had assumed full and complete responsibility for their care. So in chapter 2, the writer shows us the, the ways that God cares for his own. He cares for those who have sought refuge in him. Now, just to remind you the flow of this little book, I've broken it into a series of acts as a, as a play. It's mostly narrative, and so we're looking at it as a sort of play that unfolds. And in Act 1, I entitled The Far Country. This section, beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, describes the desperate circumstances of the nation at that time. It was a dark period, the period of the judges, the darkest in Israel's history, and there was a desperate famine in the land as well as a result of God's chastening on their sin and rebellion. But in the midst of those desperate circumstances, there was also the disastrous choice of one family. We learn about that family early in this book, the family of Elimelech, which means, his name means, my God is king came from a devout family that believed in Yahweh, but when trouble came into the nation, rather than being a part of the repentance and the restoration, he decides to take his family and move to idol-worshipping, Chemosh-worshipping Moab, where children were offered in sacrifice to their God. The disastrous choice of one family. And verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1 describe the the divine consequences of their rebellion. It's really a remarkable story. In 10 years' time, think about where you were 10 years ago. In 10 years' time, there was a famine in their country. 
They made a sinful decision to move away from Israel into a pagan, idolatrous land. Then came the unexpected death of Elimelech, Naomi's young husband. The boys married idolaters. Their two boys married Moab women who worshipped the false god Chemosh. And within those same ten years, both of Naomi's sons were married for that entire period of time, or most of it, without children, barren, likely because of what they may have done with their firstborn children. And finally, both of her sons died as well, prematurely and unexpectedly. Truly disastrous and divine consequences. That's Act 1, the far country. That's what happened when they strayed in rebellion from God. Act 2 describes the journey home. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 6, and running through most of the, of the rest of chapter 1, this section details the remarkable story of God. This isn't about Ruth. This isn't about Naomi. This is about their God, who demonstrates himself to be a Savior. In various ways, he, he restores the land of Israel from drought and famine to food. He restores Naomi from sin and rebellion to repentance. And he converts Ruth from idolatry. He snatches her out of the middle of the country of Moab in an act of divine grace and draws her to himself unto salvation. That's the journey home. Last time we studied the book of Ruth together, we began to look at Act 3. Act 3 in this wonderful drama is a story of Yahweh's protection and provision. It begins in the middle of verse 22 of chapter 1 and runs all the way through chapter 2, verse 23. Ruth, that is the book of Ruth, provides a personal portrait of the cycle of sin and deliverance that occurred to the nation throughout the period of the judges. The cycle was disobedience, followed by God's judgment, followed by repentance, followed by God's deliverance. That national cycle is repeated in this book, but it's repeated in the life of just one Hebrew family. And really, one Hebrew woman, Naomi. In Ruth 2, we see fleshed out on a personal level the final part of that cycle, God's deliverance of Naomi through her newly redeemed daughter-in-law and through a relative named Boaz. Let me read for you just a portion of this text, and we'll read the rest as it unfolds. But look at Ruth chapter 1. Verse 22, so Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family 
of Elimelech. We looked at this passage last time and considered exactly how it fits into this third act, the story of Yahweh's protection and provision. We, we learned that through his providence, God always cares for those who have sought refuge in him. This third act in the story of Naomi and Ruth consists of three scenes. The first scene sets up the meeting between Boaz and Ruth. And again, we looked at this last time. It is this, Yahweh arranges human circumstances to care for his own. He arranges our lives. We sang it together tonight, didn't we? He weaves together the moments of our lives so all the glory he receives. That's exactly what he does in these lives. He weaves their circumstances together in order to care for them. Notice verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. He was a relative of Naomi's husband. He was a man of great wealth. He was a wealthy, influential landowner. And at the same time, that word hints that he was a man of noble and excellent character, which, of course, we discover him to be as this little book unfolds. Verse 1 goes on to say, he was of the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. His name was Boaz, which probably means something like strength. Verse 2 says, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. You see, at this point, they had exhausted all of their resources They've already liquidated all of their assets. They've sold the field that Naomi's husband owned. They have nothing. Ruth's plan was simple. Let me go behind the harvesters and pick up any ears of grain that they left uncut or that accidentally dropped. She'd probably learned from Naomi that this is prescribed by the law of Moses, required of faithful Israelites. And so she said, let me go do that. It's, it's barley harvest time. At least we'll have food to eat. Naomi agreed. If they were going to survive that year, this had to be the plan. And so verse 2, Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Verse 3 says, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And literally, the, the Hebrew text says this, her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I love that. It's supposed to be ironic. It's supposed to say, this is anything but chance. Imagine this. She lands on the portion of the field that belongs to a relative, Boaz. So she goes out into the barley crop. This is what a barley field looks like at harvest time there in Israel. And this is what it looks like once it's been harvested with bundles lying around the field ready to be picked up ready to be tied together and picked up and taken to the threshing floor. Here's what the grain looks like. The darker grain is barley, the lighter grain is wheat, and the corresponding breads that they produce. It's barley harvest. There's a field. There are potential crops that she can gather and they can survive. And so she goes. And her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. God had arranged all of the circumstances for the good of Ruth and Naomi and, as we'll discover, Boaz as well. At the same time, 
And I noted this for you as we ended last time. At the same time that he was caring for these three people, these three individuals, he was also ensuring what he wanted to happen three generations later when their great-grandson, David, would be born. But Ruth and Boaz also had to meet that day so that more than 1,200 years later, their greatest ancestor, our Lord Jesus Christ, could be born. It all came from her chance, chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz. In other words, Ruth and Boaz had had to meet in that field that day so that 3,000 years later, God could save you. When Ruth happened by chance upon that field, it was an act of remarkable divine providence. Because it brought her across the path of a gracious man who was going to care for them and because he was of the same clan as Elimelech, Naomi's husband, which becomes a very important part of the rest of the story. Not only does Yahweh arrange human circumstances to care for his own, as we've discovered, but Yahweh also uses the obedience and compassion of the righteous, those who belong to him, to care for others. Who belong to him. He brings across their path a remarkable man. In the dark days of the judges, evil was rampant. If you doubt that, read the book of Judges. Read the last several chapters of the book of Judges. These were dark times. Righteous people were hard to find. But in order to care for these two women, who belonged to him, who had sought refuge under his wings, God orchestrated their circumstances to bring across their path a righteous man. A righteous man. Look at verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. The word behold here expresses the writer's amazement. His amazement at what will happen both the fact of Boaz's arrival and, as we'll see, the remarkable timing of his arrival. Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. May Yahweh be with you. Now, uh, use your sanctified imagination here and put put yourself back in this time. The harvesting would have started very early that morning, and they would have worked hard through the morning hours. Sometime late morning, Boaz, in whose field Ruth had providentially landed and whose wheat she was gathering, comes out of the city to check on the progress of the reapers. And with his first words, we get a glimpse of the kind of man this was. In a day of spiritual darkness, apostasy, idolatry was rampant. Boaz's first words to his employees are, May Yahweh, the true and living God, may he be with you as you work today. Truly a wonderful workplace. And his servants and his day laborers replied to him, look at verse 4, they said to him, May Yahweh bless you. This is a powerful reminder, by the way that if you work in a secular workplace, as most of you do, be wise, but don't stop being a Christian. 
Here was a righteous man who believed in Yahweh and whose commitment to the true God permeated his everyday interaction with his employees and with his servants. What a stark contrast he was to his times. It's just a reminder, isn't it, that even in the darkest times, God still has a remnant. If you're feeling discouraged about the condition of our country, remember, God has yet 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. Don't give up on God. He's able to continue his work in the darkest of times. God intended to care for Ruth and Naomi. And so he providentially caused their lives to intersect with that of a righteous man in remarkably dark times. That interaction occurred through what I would call an ordinary providence. The Puritans used to talk about extraordinary providences, unusual expressions of God's providence. What happens here was just an ordinary providence, but it was no less remarkable. It's likely that the scope of this and magnitude of this harvesting operation was massive. Often, in the case of wealthy landowners like Boaz, they would employ a hundred, two hundred reapers and gleaners, reapers and, and gatherers. Typically, the male workers would come through and, and cut down the grain, and the female servants would often come behind and, and gather the, the wheat together, the barley together, and bundle it. Most of these Dozens to hundreds of people would be, would be working and, and toiling in the field over that massive field I showed you. But as many as a certain percentage, 10 to 20 of them may be taking a brief break at any point in time, just like in a, in a normal work operation that you'd be familiar with. It was likely a, a busy, bustling environment like that that the conversation that takes place next occurred. Notice verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Boaz asks his foreman, his supervisor of the harvest, a question. And, and the question is hard to know exactly what he has in mind. Whose young woman is this? He may have meant, whose dependent is she? He recognized that she was in no way connected to him. Whose dependent is she? Or, or he may have meant, in whose service is she? Assuming since she was connected with his, with his servants who were gathering the harvest, that she was also someone who was employed by someone else, was a servant to someone else. Or he may have meant, whose daughter is she? Or whose wife is she? Or, or to which family does she belong? We can't be absolutely sure. But regardless, the key thing is Boaz notices her and knows that she's not part of his household, not part of his servants. Verse 6, the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And notice that Boaz's supervisor tells him three things about Ruth that are really important for him to know. First of all, she's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's not Israelite. Secondly, she belongs with Naomi. And notice the third thing, she's a young woman.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part nine of his series, Ruth. Tom will have part 10 for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, today we were introduced to a man reckoned truly righteous by God, and that man was Boaz. What does it take for believers like us to walk in righteousness like Boaz? God calls all of us who have been saved by His grace alone through the work of the Messiah to walk then in faithfulness to Him and to do so in spite of what the current values of the world around us are. In spite of those cultural values, God has throughout history used ordinary men and women like us who are faithful to him, faithful to his word, to ultimately accomplish his great plan of redemption. Like Boaz, we too can be used by God if we have come to know him by grace and if we will simply commit ourselves to obey his word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.